people said. Amen. Please have a seat. Early in our young nation's history, one of our great presidents, Abraham Lincoln, said this four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. He wrote that on his way to a place called Gettysburg. And about 80 years later, another great leader in the world on another continent, Winston Churchill, stayed up all night waiting to see what was going to happen as his small army was facing overwhelming odds against the Germans in the Battle of Britain. And they won. And he got on the radio the next day and said, Never have so many owed so much to so few. A few years after that, a sweet-spirited sister got on a bus in the south and when they asked her what on earth did you do that for she said knowing what must be done does away with fear facing annihilation in the 60s during the cold war with the soviet union our president john f kennedy trying to inspire a a nation that that seemed to always be living in fear said We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And I wish I could say it with his accent. A few years after that, before he was assassinated, Martin Luther King Jr. said this, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And a couple thousand years before any of that, the greatest man, the perfect God-man, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, said this, by this they will know that you are mine by your love for one another. So what's my point? Why share all that? Here's why. Because words have power. They have power to inspire a nation. They have power to change a heart. And they have the power, as Daniel said during the invocation, to reveal our hearts. Because Jesus also said, From the overflow of your heart, so your mouth speaks. James spends a lot of time talking about the tongue. In fact, we talked about it a few weeks ago in James chapter 1, when he says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, that man's religion is worthless. James is distinctly Jewish, the half-brother of Jesus, and he teaches cyclically because that was a very Jewish thing to do. But he spends almost more ink in this short letter talking about the tongue than any other topic. Why? Like, what's the, what's the big deal, James? Well, the answer is that there has been more damage done to relationships. There has been more damage done to the church of Christ through the tongue than, any, than all the other sins put together. We think of the biggies. A pastor who fell morally, adultery, murder. We think of those big sins. But I'm telling you, it is gossip and slander and malice that does more damage to relationships and always has. From the beginning, literally from the beginning in the garden. Because Satan is a murderer and the father of lies. In fact, when when we looked at that passage in James chapter 1, I had you guys turn to to Proverbs 6. I'm not going to have you turn there now. And it says in Proverbs 6, when it talks in, in verses 16 through 19, it says, there are six things the Lord hates, 
seven that are an abomination. I'm like, man, that ought, that ought to perk our ears right away. At least four of the seven have to do with what comes out of my face, out of our mouths. Lying tongue, a heart that plans evil, false witness that lies, and one who sows discord in a family. Paul says it this way in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, so, idolatry and sorcery. And we look at those, that list of the biggies, and we go off, man, I'm not one of those, thank the Lord. But he finishes the thought. Enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy. That hits a little closer to home. Like, literally in my home. Too often. You might be sitting here saying, man, I'm glad I don't even do any of those. James is asking, yeah, I thank you for the laugh, because if you're saying that, then there's your problem. But, James is going to say today, we'll see. And I can't wait to invite you into my pain. Because you guys get to hear this for, you know, 35, 40 minutes. You're going to get to chew through this. Hopefully you will allow God's Word to chew through you the rest of the week as you do your daily readings and, and think about this topic. But I've been meditating on this for like two weeks now, and it's just been eating my lunch. But it's a good thing. So today's message is called Watching Your Tongue. It's one of the hardest passages in this hard letter about doing that we're going to face. And because of that, it's often one of the most overlooked because we just don't want to hear about it. We just don't teach it. We don't want to hear about it because it makes us all feel uncomfortable. So with that, let's get uncomfortable together. Open your Bibles up to James. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We have some people in the back that would love to give you one. We're going to pick it up in James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And I'm just going to jump in. I'm going to read the whole passage. The reason I'm reading the whole passage, even though we're going to go through it all verse by verse, I thought about this this morning. I've never really explained why I've started doing that when, when I can. It's because this word spoken over you is what has power. Right? The other stuff is, is, is just to help us all understand it and to teach it as, as, in, in a way that helps it get from here to here maybe. But this is where the power comes from. So this is the word of God. James 3, verse 1, let, no, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not bridle, does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man and able to bridle his whole body as well. Now if we put a bit in the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds... Are still, they are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set afire by such a small flame. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among its members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of bird and, fit and of beast and bird and reptile and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord, the Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening, both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree 
my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs, nor can salt water produce fresh. The word of the Lord. Father, I just come to you right now, Lord, and I pray again that you would open the spiritual eyes of our hearts, that we would behold wonderful things from this deep truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the question that the passage leads us to. Are the words you speak to yourself and to others seasoned with grace? Are your words that you speak both in, and I'm going to repeat this a lot, not, these aren't just words that actually breathe out of our mouths, but also the conversations we have in our head, are they seasoned with words of grace? Because guys, you've got to get this. You speak to you more than any other person speaks to you. You have more conversation with yourself than you have conversation with every other person in your life combined. So it's important that we not only see conversation as this way or even through telephone voice messages, but also just what is the conversation that is happening in our heads? He's going to give us three questions to ask that are going to answer our question today. So the first point is, do you talk more than you listen? Look at the first two verses. Do you talk more than you listen? Let, many, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such you will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. So I'm looking and I'm going, oh my goodness. His, his like, standard is perfection. But he says we all stumble. In fact, in the Greek it actually means we all stumble much, is what it really means. So what he's saying is, guys, if, if you were able, to, if you could be perfect, you could control your tongue. But because you cannot be perfect... You cannot fully control your tongue. And the reason he ties it to teaching, and this is, is specific to teaching the Word of God, I believe, but not just from the front on Sunday. This could be discipling people. This could be in a Bible study. This could just be talking around the dinner table. What he's talking about is with teaching, there are more words. Right? I'm going to talk more words today than you guys are probably because I'm up here for 45 minutes or 40 minutes talking. So every word we speak is an opportunity for me to sin. What he's saying is, it, it's, what, it's, what, um, it's what Daniel said during the invocation. With, with much speech, sin is inevitable. So shut your mouth is actually what the proverb says. And then you won't sin. But he's saying, but if you're a teacher and you have to speak, good luck with that. Right? So, but what we have to take into account is, is ultimately are we talking too much? Because, what we're, because the more we run at the mouth, the more likely we are to say something that isn't good. Keep your finger here, because we're going to come right back to it, and turn to, let's hear what Jesus has to say about this. Turn to the left into Luke chapter 6. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, it's the third gospel. Luke chapter 6. If you get to John, you've gone a little bit too far. Luke chapter 6. Luke cha and this is Jesus speaking. So James's half-brother Jesus, is, this is what he is sharing. At this point in Jesus's life, James didn't really want to have anything to do with his brother. But I'm going to pick it up in verse 39. It says, and he, Jesus, spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Won't they both fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. 
And then he goes right into this whole idea of how we talk to and about other people. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me get, take that speck out of your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, another, nor on the other hand a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from briar bushes. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. And we're going to see this again, Lord willing, even next week in, as we continue in James chapter 3. But do you see how clearly Jesus is connecting? What you talk about is just an overflow of who you are of the condition of your heart or your soul. So back to James. Your table talk question for this, for this point, it's on the back of your connecting points document, says this. With many words, sin is inevitable. It's the proverb that Daniel quoted, why I just mentioned a minute ago. So are you a man or a woman of many words? How might you get better at holding your tongue? And I'm going to add, even in your own head. How might you get better at... at, at at negating the negative conversations that you have with others and with yourself. So Father, I do pray right now that you would help the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you. Lord, I pray that you would um, keep the enemy, as we're going to see in just a minute, that, that all of the negative conversation we have is from the pit of hell. Keep him from us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. So today's question, are your words to yourself and to others seasoned with grace? The first thing was, do you talk more than you listen? Because the more you talk, the more you increase your chances of sinning. The second is, what's the source of the course of your life? What's the source of the course of your life? And this is where he's really going to get into the meat of things. Look at verse 3. Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct the entire body as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds and are still directed by a small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small body part, and yet it boasts of great things. Here's what James is saying. Don't let its small size fool you. Right? He's, gonna, he's using some examples like a horse's bit and a, rudder's, and a, and a, and a rudder ship and even a small campfire that's going to turn into a blazing forest fire. But it's all because he's trying to connect this analogy of this is a big deal, even though it seems like a small one. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something right now together that you only should do, kids, if you're at the doctor and they ask you to. But right now, including the adults, everybody stick out your tongue. Now look at the person next to you. That little thing sticking out of your face has the power to do massive things for good and for evil. Why? Because it is directly connected to your brain, which is directly connected, according to the words of Jesus and according to the words of James, to your heart. The tongue is just a piece of your body. But because we live in a broken world, it's a broken piece of your body. Now your heart might be made new in Christ, 
But unless that gets, helps control from here to here to here, you can still be influenced by the enemy. And what James is saying is, be careful. It does not take... In fact, in fact, King David says, King David, King David says, God, put a guard over my lips. Why? Why does he care? He's king. Who does, why does he care who he offends? Because he knows what comes out of his face is, can't, has the potential of being offensive to God. Right? He's not scared of the people he might offend. He's scared of the God that he might offend. Now look at verse 6. It says, And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members at that which it defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of your life and is set on fire by hell. Guys, I could do a whole sermon on, on verse 6. I mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot there. There's a lot of theology there. There's just a ton there, period. But this is why, James, this is the reason James spends so much time talking about the tongue. In chapter 1, he talks about it here in chapter 3. He'll talk about it again in chapter 5. It's because he sees where the tongue has the ability to be controlled by. You are either being controlled by Satan, like influenced by demonic forces, or you are being controlled by the Spirit of the living God. The, moment by moment, that's, that's where we're at. And, and I get that, the, that my biggest enemy is the one that looks me in the face in the mirror. I understand that, that I, I, as a follower of Christ, I have all the power I need to reject the lies of the enemy, but it doesn't negate his attempts to try to influence me. And if we don't recognize that and embrace that, and, and meaning that that's, the, embrace the, that that's a reality, that it is a spiritual fight, and all we do is go, I'm going to try harder to be nicer and say nicer things, we don't re we're not taking the fight far enough back. What we have to recognize, guys, get this. What we have to recognize is every time we have a negative thought about someone or we have a negative conversation about someone or something, what, Jane, what, what God, this isn't Doug speaking, this is what God's word is saying. It is a fire that comes from hell. And we need to recognize that. I need to, I need to do a better job of recognizing that. Every time I allow myself to have one of my lawnmower moments where I'm out there arguing with Carrie or arguing with one of you in my head and I'm having this negative conversation, Satan is winning in my heart. That's, that's what James is telling us. Now if you don't buy that, come talk to me about it later because I would love to have that conversation with you because until we recognize that, how can we possibly get victory in it? Guys, it's where I get this whole idea of what is the source of the course of our lives. Right? The course of our life is every square inch of our life. God, Jesus didn't save us for part of us. Jesus saved us for all of us. He wants every inch of our lives, our whole heart, our whole mind, and every part of our tongue and our speech as well. And the words that we speak to ourselves and others define that course for us. Like, what course are we on? Right? It's, it's, it's as straightforward as this. If you, it's what, it's what um, Daniel said during the, during the calling time up front. Because you want to know the condition of your heart, what's coming out of your mouth. And again, even internally, you want to know the condition of your heart, what's coming out of your mouth. Are most of your thoughts, most of your conversations positive or negative? If they're negative, 
James is telling us, here's where they're coming from, the pit of hell. To prove my point, because I see a lot of faces that are like, wait a second, I don't think so. I think I have liberty to be negative. I think because, and, and guys, and we'll finish here, hopefully. This is not a salvific thing. You can be saved and be negative. But God doesn't want you to stay there. Right? He saved you to, to take you out of that darkness and drag you, drag me, sometimes kicking and screaming, into the marvelous light. But it doesn't mean that, okay, so now I'm not saved anymore because I have a negative thought. So don't go there in your head, but don't stay in that negativism either. Look at, look at turn, if you would, just a few books. So keep your finger in James. We're coming right back. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. So we're gonna, you're going to go past the big book of Hebrews, past all the T's. If you get to Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, if you get to Galatians, you've gone too far. So, if, so it's, it's Ephesians chapter 6. Look at, this is Paul now. So this isn't James anymore. This is Paul speaking. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. I'm in verse 10. I'm sorry. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Not the schemes of your flesh. We have those. Not the schemes of the world. The people that don't think the way you think or like the what you like or believe in... He's saying... Put on the full armor of God so you'll be able to withstand the schemes of the devil. And then, he, and then, like, to make it any more clear, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. He's like, your struggle is not with the person you're sitting next to. It's not the person you disagree with on Twitter. Your struggle is with the spiritual forces of darkness. It's against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you can resist in the evil day and having done so, stand firm. And then he outlines what that armor looks like. And that's a fairly well-known passage we've gone through before here. But guys, the, Paul's point is the same as James's point. If you are having negative thoughts, negative conversations about other people, you have to recognize it for what it is. It is from Satan. And in, in the longer you... I mean, guys, I, I was having them this morning. I, I, hate, I, I so hate it. And here's why I hate it. And I'm using that word hate on purpose. Because every minute I do that is sucking the spiritual life out of my heart. And it's letting the enemy win. And that's what I hate about it. I hate letting Satan win. Don't let him. See it. So what I did, I'm like, I, I like literally, I'm walking down the hall, getting ready to, I, I, right after spending like two hours in the Word this morning, I'm, I'm like, where did that com thought come from? It came from hell. So go back there, Satan. And I said it out loud. I'm like, go to the pit of hell, Satan. You have no place here. And I was able to renew my mind with the truth of, I am in the good hand of my God. Guys, we all have to do that. That's not Doug's struggle. If you're sitting here right now and you're going, I don't have that struggle, I want to meet you. I do. I, I mean, I, I'm saying that sort of obviously in semi-whatever, tongue-in-cheek, but I really do. I want to meet you. Because I'll let you know a little secret. The reason Paul wrote Ephesians is because he had that struggle. And he was Paul. So your table talk question says this, we are either speaking words of life or words of death to ourselves and others. 
Words of death come from the pit of hell. Words of life come from our heavenly Redeemer. So which seasons your speech the most? And you're going to have time at the end of the message to practice speaking words of life to each other. Father, I do come to you, Lord, and I want to pray again that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you. Because you are our rock and our redeemer. Lord, help, help us to be people. We are, if we're in Christ, we are children of the light. Help us to speak words of life by the power of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. So are your words to yourself and to others seasoned with grace? First of all, do you talk more than you listen? Second, what is the source of the course of your life? So if what comes out of your mouth and fills your head is representative of the condition of your heart, it leads to my last question. Is most of your communication blessing or cursing? Is most of your, and, and, and I've alluded to it already because James is going to hit it really hard here as he wraps up this thought about the tongue, is most of your communication, internally, verbally, texting, email, posting on social media, whatever it is, is most of it positive or negative? Look at what he says in verses 7 and 8. He says, For every species of, bird, of beast and bird, of reptiles and creatures, of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Guys, here he's using analogy, which is something we use all the time when we're, when we're in a conversation with somebody as well. He's using analogy, and he's saying this to us. We can tame the tiger, but we can't tame the tongue. We can tame the snake that is coming out of the sack, but we can't tame this little serpent that is being controlled by Satan in our mouths. That's ultimately, he's just using an example before he gets to the real struggle in it. And in fact, he even uses a couple of examples at the end of our section where he sounds a lot like his older brother. So jump down to verses 11 and 12. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Doesn't that sound an awful lot like his brother, Jesus Christ? Talking about fruit and fig trees. and absolutely, He heard all of that throughout his life, I'm sure. Not just the times that we have it recorded in the Gospels. But again, his point is, I'm just speaking in analogy. I'm just saying what Jesus said to us in, in, the, in, um, in Matthew 7 and in Mark. By your, and in, even in John, where we just went in John 6. By their fruit... You will know them. Well, your fruit isn't like the work you do. The fruit is who you are. That's how, he, that's how Jesus can say the fruit, in this case the good words that come out of your mouth, are giving evidence to whose you are. How do you say that? Well, because Jesus said what you say flows from your heart. He couldn't be more clear. What comes out of your mouth is an overflow of what is filling your heart. So the question becomes, who's filling your heart? So look back at verses 9 and 10. So he's saying, with, he says, with it, which is the tongue, with it, 
we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Because do you see the, the irony in that? We can say, we, me, Doug, you, oh, we can sit and, and in one minute we can be praising God for his goodness and his glory. And in that, with the same tongue, the next minute, we can be cursing, thinking negative thoughts about somebody else. But here's his point. That person that you're cursing is an image bearer of God. Every person who has ever lived, even the ones that don't have your political affiliation, even the ones that don't have your same philosophy on schooling, even the ones that aren't your same skin color, even the ones that are fill in the blank. Every person who has ever lived was created in the image of God. So every time, we, so, so, so the same tongue that is going, man, Lord, you are beautiful. This guy's an, it, I won't say it, ignoramus. James is like, what? what? In fact, he's going to tell us, guys, these things ought not be, but, but we have to, before we get to verse 10, guys, the, the church has been so good at working, at finding the loophole in this path, in verses 9 and 10. You know how? I, you know what? I'm not, I'm not actually gossiping. I'm not slandering. It's, it's, it's a prayer request. You know, I'm just, I mean, can you just pray for me about this? I'm really struggling with Daniel because, man, he really said something bad to me. And, and, and you know, can, and, and, but, but let me just, okay. You know what? Can you just pray for me in my heart? Because I need to go talk to my brother Daniel about something that he's, that he's hurt me in. Okay. But let me tell you about it. Sin, 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 sin. All the way down the line. And we do it all the time. Or how about this one? It's not really, I'm not even asking for prayer, but I'm just seeking godly counsel. Because the Bible says that with many counselors there is success. So I'm just going to go around and I'm going to talk to five or six people about my problem with Daniel. Because then they're going to help me. Sin, 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 sin. Guys, there is, there is no room for that in Scripture. And yet the church is overrun with it. As more churches have been destroyed in the 2,000 years since they were birthed by gossip and slander than by any pastoral failure ever. That's the truth. And it's because of what he's talking about right here. Satan, God creates the unity. There are two things on this planet that image Christ. Marriage between a man and a woman, Genesis chapter 2, and the church of Jesus Christ, Ephesians chapter 4. And Satan hates both of those things. So what does he attack? Marriage? In all kinds of ways now. He's just getting more and more creative. I read, today, I read yesterday, 46% of all professing evangelical churches are now promoting same-sex marriage in our country. I mean, guys, I, 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 my heart, I'm, not, my, I'm not even mad. My heart breaks. I mean, I'm mad that because the enemy is winning, but my heart breaks for that. It breaks for those churches. It breaks for those pastors. 
And it should break for us too because we see they are just a tool of the enemy. Look at what he says, verse 10. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be this way. Because his heart is breaking over the condition of the church. He probably wrote this letter in like 45 AD. It's, one of the, it's the first New Testament letter written. The church is like 15 years old, maybe. And he's like, guys, we're cutting ourselves apart. What are we doing? It ought not be this way. The problem is the law of oughtness has gotten lost. Ought not be this way based on this word. It's like, you know what, but it, but it feels. Guys, here's, here's why it's so hard for me to shut that negative voice down. Even this morning in the hallway, when I'm walking, when I'm getting ready to jump in the shower. Because it feels so good. Because anybody that tells you that sin does not feel good is doing it wrong. Seriously. That's the truth. But that doesn't make it right. right. This is what makes it right. This is what, where we get right and wrong. And this could not be more clear. Gossip, slander, malice. These are as big a sin as adultery, murder, list it. And every time I am guilty of it, and I am at times guilty of those things, I am letting Satan win, and I am an affront to the living God. And I hate that. You're going to read about this in Romans chapter 1 this week. And guys, Romans chapter 1 is such a powerful passage because he starts with, He's talking about the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to all who believe. Right? But then he goes into this. But the wrath of God has been revealed because man has turned his back on God and he started to worship the creature rather than the creator. So we all well, let's be against the environmentalists. And he started to exchange the, the natural function of man. So we start talk, he starts talking about homosexuals and some of these big things. And we immediately run to those and we embrace chapter 1 and go, Get him, Paul! Get him, Paul! He doesn't end there, and you're going to see that this week. So enjoy my pain with me. As you read in Romans 1 when he says, they are filled with wickedness. He's talking about the human condition. Because they're full of envy, deceit, malice. They are gossips. It's, the same, it's, it's like the same verse as the whole thing about homosexuality. They're gossips he is, and slanderers. He is equating, he is saying, those two things in God's eyes are the same. Now, the beauty of the book of Romans is he goes through the rest of the gospel, and, and, and we'll talk more about that next week, Lord willing, and says, you know what? We don't live by the power of death anymore. Because of gospel glory, because of God's goodness, we have been born again. Look at the table talk question, and I'm about to wrap it up. Put shoe leather to this, guys, because th this is... Everyone in here struggles with this. Everyone in here struggles with controlling their tongue. So come up with some practical ways. Sit around, after, after, during our fellowship time, at dinner tonight, talk about practical ways you can improve your speech and communication, both with others and in your head, so that, so that blessing may flow from you more regularly. Then commit to doing them. So, so, so how can you practically get better at this? Then commit to doing them, and then share your commitment with someone who will ask you, so how are you doing with that? Guys, I, if you've tuned me out, listen to this. Listen to this. Because we got, we, 
my big fear in going through the book of James is it's a book about doing and doing and doing. And if we leave behind the being with Christ and the grace of the gospel, we are not, we can't do. Remember? We can't, we don't do so it will be done. It was done so we do. Remember that. Because your ability to control your tongue does not affect his love for you. He doesn't love you less. When I'm an affront to him, he doesn't stop loving me. He says, that's another one I died for, Doug. But your love for him is a direct reflection in how you control your tongue. If, you can, if, if, if we are struggling to control our speech, our communication, we have to bring into question our love for him, not his love for us. So are your words to yourself and to others seasoned with grace? Do you talk too much? Are you recognizing that the source of the struggle is really from the pit, literally from the pit of hell? Are the words you're breathing, are they life or death, death to others? As the music team comes up and we get ready to respond in song and in communion and our giving to the Lord and, and just in our fellowship afterwards, guys, I want to I wanna put something up on the screen that I want you to take some time to think about while we're doing these responding things. Something the Lord hit me with quite a while ago. Every waking moment, you're doing one of these four things. Every moment you're awake, right now, an hour from now, when you wake up tomorrow morning, you're doing one of these four things. You are either creating, cultivating, consuming, or criticizing. There, that's it. Now, you might come up with different words, but everything we do falls into one of those four. You are either creating, creating and cultivating. You're dreaming, Lord, what do you have for me today? Lord, what, what do you have for me in this relationship? How can I build into that? How can I get this thing going for your glory? How can I build into that relationship for your glory? Or you are consuming and criticizing. What does this person have for me? What can I get out of this situation? And oh, by the way, since they're not meeting my needs, let me tell you, or the church is falling short in this area, let me tell you about all the things that are wrong with it. So that we feel better about ourselves. Because there's no in-between. So the question becomes, which of those C's is going to fill most of your moments this week? Guys, it's a fight. I get it. This This is my struggle. And I hate it. I hate that I've been walking with the Lord for 25 years. <laughs> and I still let the enemy win way too much. But one of the things that I've done, one of the things that I do to fight this in my own life is when I get to that place of feeling negative, having that critical conversation in my head, I turn it to praise, to, I turn to praise to him, I pray for that person or that situation, and then if I can, I reach out to them in text, email, call them, and I speak words of life to them. So here's what I want you guys to do while we're having this time of response. You got, we got 20 minutes before we're done here today with this part of the service. Each of you was given a white card when you came in. 
Here's what I'm asking of you. Now, if this is your first day, and I know we have some first dayers here, so this might be a little harder for you because if this is your first day, I want you to write, for all of you, I want you to write a person's name on this card, not mine. Do not write me one. I'm just telling you, I'm not going to look at them. Okay? Don't write me one. Write me one next week or something, but not today. You're going to write a person's name on here, and then you're going to, and preferably not your spouse. It could be, if that's the only person you know in the room. And then you're going to write some words of life over that person. Could be just words that describe them. Could just be a sentence. Whatever the Lord tells you to do. And then before you leave today, or before they leave today, which sometimes is hard because some of you bolt out of here, give it to them. You don't even have to have a conversation about it. Just walk up, and here you go, and walk away. Let the Spirit do the rest. I wouldn't give it to you. I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. So everybody got their assignment? All right, let me pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord. Um, I thank you, Lord, for the truth um, that even in my failure and my shortcoming, your grace is sufficient, that your power is perfected in weakness. So I stand up here with my brothers and sisters in Christ, who I know struggle with this too, because we all do. James told us, we all stumble much in this area. And we, and we claim your grace to fill in the gaps. We claim your power to perfect us in our weaknesses. And we even say, we are weak. Lord, I am a weak, cracked vessel. But you know that. You know that. That's why you came. That's what grace is. That's what the cross does. So Lord, I pray that that the power that flows from the cross of Jesus Christ, the grace that is ours applied to us when we come to know you as Lord and Savior because we confess you as Lord and Savior would, would, would continually just change my heart, our hearts, into the image of your Son that it might change our thoughts to renew our minds in what is true and right and lovely and good that we might offer our lives a living sacrifice to you. And that that might even look like just speaking words of life to our brothers and sisters, to a world that, that isn't yet in the family of God, that, that needs to hear. You're an image bearer. Did you know there's a God in heaven who has his fingerprint on you? Who died for you? That he might then conform you into a beautiful image, a, a the perfect image of yourself because you'll look like him. Lord, we look forward to your return. Father, I, I pray that it would come quickly because I'm tired of the fight. I'm weary. I know my brothers and sisters are weary in the fight. Lord, I, I thank you that on that day that you return, we will be like you because we will see you for who you really are. Until that day comes, Lord, I thank you that your spirit indwells us, empowers us, strengthens us, motivates us, seals us, directs us, protects us. Lord, I thank you that, that you have filled our sails with the power of your breath. I thank you that you have filled our lungs with the fruit of your spirit. Lord, may we breathe it out today. In Jesus' name, amen.